Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. So when Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond go on air and ask whether or not we've started selling <laughs> the special Winged Wheel Podcast flannels, to help raise money for wings on the board, wings money on the board, and uh, the Jamie Daniels Foundation, we have absolutely no choice <laughs> but to start selling the flannels to help benefit wings money on the board and the Jamie Daniels Foundation. The good news is that's what we were planning on doing. Anyway, just maybe put a little bit of a giddy up on it. I did love, I did love the fact that Mickey loved him so much that that's what he brought up. Yeah, like Ken was doing his really like. We can't say how much we appreciate it every time he shouts us out on the air. And it's A, surreal, and B, like really fantastic. And and C, more about you, the community, the Red Wings community, and the Winged Wheel podcast listeners. Because uh, Ken was talking about how we've passed the $15,000 mark on the season, 16000 now, actually. Uh, and we're, by the time we tally up all the season long um, totals for Wings Money on the board pledges, we're looking to be past 20000 And then Mick's like, what about the flannels? <laughs> <laughs> Those were awesome, and so he's right. I I I, I messaged Ken, and I was like, "We are absolutely going to do absolutely going to do it." But Mick has to be the one to uh, to model them. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think the two the two people who will, who will have on the website for the pictures will have one with Mick, maybe the picture of me, you, Brad, Mick, and Ken, and then the third one will be just Evan because people haven't seen you in your flannel yet. No, yeah, you we're afford, doing. You can't afford my appearance fees. I've prepaid. You have not. I, I have checked my bank account today, and I did <laughs> if not see it. If we there. let you do it without pants, oh, that's up to Ryan. Then those are, <laughs> those rates are even higher. Oh, then we can sell the shirt for more. Yeah. <laughs> Just maybe not on the website. We'll have to start. We'll have to start on a different service website. Yes. Yeah, Evan's got an OnlyFriends account now. Yeah, yeah. Well, it took all of two minutes to, to have an <laughs> have an OF reference on the podcast. So there's that. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, folks. Uh, believe it or not, we're here to talk about Red Wings hockey. And the world of the NHL, I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Uh, good news for you. Mm. Golf merch coming. About damn time. You know what? I, I, I think I ask every few episodes. The other day you were like, how do I add golf merch to the store? And I was like, please just don't touch. <laughs> <laughs> Let's work on it. I made the mistake yesterday. I told Mel, I was like, Evan's going to be so happy. And this guy's response was about damn time. <laughs> I should have known. That's on me. <laughs> On this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast. Well, what kind of golf merch? Oh, we can't spoil it. Okay. Have to tell you off air. That's Patreon exclusive. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Smart. Yeah. Um, on this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast, we're going to be talking about everything to do with the Red Wings, the news of Dylan Larkin being shut down for the season, an update from last episode. Uh, we'll be talking about their win. Yes, win against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, and then some retrospectives on Eisenman's first three years on uh, with the team. Some news from over in Sweden, tankathon stuff, but only because Brad hates it. Nope. Uh, we'll be taking another look at the NHL playoff race, and then we have a prospect profile from one of the best named hockey prospects you'll ever hear of before taking uh, a look at some news from around the world of the NHL and then heading into overtime. Uh, before that, I do want to mention 
the Jamie Daniels Foundation is hosting a Comedy Night of Hope on Sunday, May 1st at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle in Royal Oak, Michigan. Tickets are as low as 50 bucks and comes with either lunch or dinner, depending on which show you go to. The purchase of that ticket goes directly to support a new adolescent substance abuse treatment center that cares for youth regardless of insurance coverage or ability to self-pay. That's a vital lifeline for youth and families in Southeast Michigan. The show features three headliner comedians with Craig Shoemaker, Ian Bag, and Mike Young, and is sponsored by Priority Waste and Cranks Catering. To purchase tickets, go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org. We hope that everyone uh, who is able and wanting to go has uh, gotten their tickets already. We're going to be getting ours. Uh, so it's a great night, a lot of laughs, and for a fantastic cause. Before we get into the episode, I do want to um, make note of something. Mike Bossy uh, passed away uh, earlier last week. And uh, that's actually something we should have uh, acknowledged last episode. So, you know, talking about all time greats, and especially right now, the era of, you know, who is the greatest goal scorer of all time. And that's a conversation that's being had. And Mike Bossy's name does not come up nearly as much as it should. So what he did with the Islanders and what he did in terms of goal scoring in the NHL was absolutely iconic. So that is a massive, massive figure uh, in hockey that was lost. So our uh, our thoughts are with Mike Bossy's family and loved ones. The Detroit Red Wings uh, announced, what was it, a day after the last pod? Couldn't have even been 24 hours. <laughs> uh, we had that whole diatribe about um, Dylan Larkin and whether he should be shut down for the season. And they announced that Dylan Larkin went uh, underwent successful core surgery and is shut down for the season. So uh, Jeff Blashill and the team came out after and, and acknowledged that it's something that Dylan Larkin had been working through for a while. Based on information that we have um, at some point in February around the, the Rangers game, it took a turn for the worst and it became something that Larkin had to pretty much grind through and, and manage in terms of pain um, when as long as he could before this was the right call. So yeah, I mean, the take here is that I'm happy. I think we're all happy that the team made that decision for Larkin. The timetable for recovery is like two to three months, eight to 10 weeks or something like that. So it really isn't going to eat into training camp time, maybe some of the offseason recovery and and uh, training that he would other, otherwise do is going to be moved around a bit. But for the most part, this was the right decision to make sure that the Detroit Red Wings have a healthy, capable Dylan Larkin to kick off next season. Yeah, I mean, he's been carrying 19 other guys on his back now for a few months. So doing that with a core injury must have been just absolutely miserable every day. Well, I mean, we saw his last few press conferences. He was definitely hating life there for a little bit, justifiably so. This makes it even more so. Um, but yeah, we, we already kind of went in at length, and it's all the same reasons. If, if there's a chance that you can make it worse, which it sounds like he did, you don't risk that. That's it. That's the end. That's the Rangers game was the uh, the final straw. So six meaningless games for the Red Wings. Uh, I think the real takeaway here uh, or the real talking point would be, was Dylan Larkin actually holding them back? <laughs> you know what? <that's- laughs> I actually seen someone unironically oh, yeah. post that on Twitter. And I was like, do I mute them or block them? I don't. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Okay, so first of all, you mentioned the Rangers game. I was actually referring to in February. Oh, wow. In February is when the pain became a little bit more serious, but it wasn't one of those things where every game he progressively damaged his body. It was just working through pain. Um, So 
you made that joke, Brad, and I, I want to clarify that as a joke. And I don't want to make a whole meal of this, but there were, there was a small but unfathomably wrong opinion floating around. And everyone knows me. I'm I'm like almost criminally offensive on people's opinions. That just are call bad. them idiots. It's fine. Yeah, you can just say they're stupid. I think ninety nine point nine percent of the people listening right now are going to agree with you. <laughs> How on earth would the Red Wings' woes this season be at all attributed to Dylan Larkin? Sorry, I don't want to say at all attributed. How could you possibly point that out as reason one, two, three, four, five through a thousand? How could any of those be Dylan Larkin? He elevated his game to be a point-per-game player, again, or or uh, uh, his best season, really, in terms of performance. He's been playing for months now, hurt, has been doing things on the ice. Like, think of some of your favorite Dylan Larkin plays. There's a good chance he probably was hurt while he did it, if it happened in 2022. And people were talking about, oh, his leadership is why this team is failing, or, you know, he didn't do enough. I'm sorry, your first line center is putting up a point per game with a a, a a needing to be surgically repaired core. The goalies are letting in like historic amounts of goals above what's expected. And your second best defenseman in most games is Mark Stahl. <laughs> oh, hey now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. Hey, it's a... Mostly a compliment. To Don't let your ra- your rage blind you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say something that's going to get me socked from the yeah. right over here. I, I I'm I'm usually looking at Brad because when I'm angry, I look at Brad, and I'm okay. I'm not I'm not expecting the right hook from uh, from that's Evan. You sit to my right. Um, yeah, I, that was just again. It, you're right, Brad. It got drowned out. People called that out for the stupidity that it was. But I just nobody's perfect. None of these players are perfect. Most cider is not perfect. But if you're going to go yeah. out there. <laughs> oh shit <laughs> i'm in trouble that was just like okay everyone needs a nap everyone needs a timeout if you're so exhausted with this season that you're going to start yelling online about dylan larkin just go for a walk go outside as the gamers say touch grass like no that's not it i don't know that's that's my rage i didn't even know that was a thing but i don't spend a lot of times a lot of my time scrolling through the internet. That's why you're a happier man than us. That's not necessarily true. <laughs> oh, <laughs> why do you spend the rest of your time in the real world? Ugh. Yeah, it's just as bad. Can't imagine. My favorite part of this all was Prashant's one graph. Yeah. Where I, I forget what the exact stat was, but Dylan Larkin was like off the charts better than everybody else on the team and just put an arrow. Yes. Blame this one here. <laughs> <laughs> and Darren McCarty on, uh, uh, uh Woodward Sports had an excellent rant. Yeah, I watched all 10 minutes of that. That was it, good. And he's right. Like He was holding a bat while he was doing it. Like <laughs> I'm not saying we should do that on the podcast, but I'm not not saying that. I just I'm all I'm saying is McCarty's fists are already considered weapons. He could have been just as intimidating without the bat. It is just so idiotic. Anyways, I loved how like that was it was that morning where that was all permeating through you know, Red Wings Twitter and whatever, and people were very obviously coming to the defense of Larkin and sit, calling out idiocy for what it was. And then the team, like, two hours later was like, yeah, Larkin just underwent season-ending uh, core surgery. You idiot. <laughs> the last part was implied, but it was essentially there. Anyhow, um, that's that's Larkin out for the rest of the season. Hope his recovery goes well. And my first thought was, oh, these next six games are going to be painful. Anyways, for them. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, the Detroit Red Wings beat the Tampa Bay Lightning the very next day. So 
in a game where the Red Wings played their backup goalie and Tampa played Vasilevsky. Look, listen, we've seen a lot of Curtis McElhinney and Brian Elliott over the last few years from Tampa. <laughs> they beat Vasilevsky with grace. <laughs> I understand I'm a hypocrite for saying it because like my my opinion when a, um, you know, a team is losing by a lot and they complain about it. I'm like, don't get scored on so much. Like I have that opinion, and I also very seriously had the opinion last night of like Tampa Bay, you're losers for starting Vasilevsky against Detroit. Like I understand you're fighting for seeding, but that's just like try hard shit. Could have also just I don't know what Tampa's schedules looked like lately. It may have just wound up that he gets a Tuesday night start. It's too much logic, Evan. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's not good for the pod. So yeah, the the Tampa Bay Lightning started Vasilevsky and ended up losing a four three hockey game to the Red Wings at the hands of uh, Jacob Verana, essentially. Yeah, the Red Wings figured out a strong game plan of just give the puck to number fifteen as often as possible. Yeah, and if Sergachev has, I was the about puck, to say, what number is Sergachev? Yeah, he had a tough night. Oh, that was bad. When two unassisted goals come directly off your stick. I would be shocked how if he plays enough the next game. Like if that was Jeff Blashill coaching him, he'd be in the doghouse for three years. No, he's old or, enough. He's probably or it'd be power play one. Uh, yeah, twenty five minutes a game. Yeah. So uh, scoring opened with Ross Colton um, in the second period. Actually, the first period was no goals allowed. It was a pretty abysmal effort from Detroit through the first period, though. And I was like, ah, that won't hold. And uh, Ross Colton opened it up. Oscar Sunkfist. I believe uh, got the rebound in front. That's what that goal was. And the game just kind of went from there for Detroit. Yeah, because they shoveled two more in in under four minutes. Yeah. It was Sunkfist at 420. Nice. Blaze it. Yeah, that's today. Hey, that's today. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're there. Look at us. We're adults. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Verona at 634 and Lucas Raymond at 817 in the second. Hell, yeah. Our Red Wings, folks. <laughs> Imagine if Adam Ernie had any ounce of finishing. Well, then he wouldn't be Adam Ernie. No. If your grandmother had wheels, she would have been a bike, right? He, <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> you didn't say that with nearly enough of an Italian accent. Anyway. No. Um, Adam Ernie had it for like three weeks, and I think he's still coasting on that reputation. I think so, too. And he's here still. That's He's in the Red Wings' bottom six, and that's not changing anytime soon. So, yeah, it was... Um, it was a good night to be Jacob Verona. Two goals. I think the first one was a really smart goal. I like a deceptively smart goal. That's the kind of goal. And we've waxed poetic about his finishing abilities before. Not everything needs to be a highlight reel snipe, but shooting through a screen and picking that one spot that the goalie won't be able to get to. I think it actually hit a Tampa. Isn't Bay that tech, the, basically the definition of a snipe? Well, no, because this one hit a Tampa Bay defender's leg. Oh, okay. It barely changed direction. I think the Tampa defender just kept it from going posting in. That's the optimistic view. And that is the reality that we'll now accept. Perfect. Uh, and then he had the one that he took off Sergachev's stick, went down for the breakaway. I, I, I called it, like, he's automatic, right? He's going down on that breakaway, and I think everyone I think there. he stick handled t- three times from the Red Wings blue line till he released the shot. Yeah. Like, it was just bang, bang, in. Like, it was... The scorekeeper was disgusting. already adding the, adding the Verona unassisted goal to the scoreboard. Yeah. Um, and he officially tied the Red Wings franchise record for fewest games to 20 goals, 32 goal or 32 games to score 20 goals, which is absolutely unreal. Seems good. Especially on a bad team. What is it? He, this season, he was this season. He's scoring at a 47 goal pace. Seems good. Over an 82 game season. 
And in his first 31 games, so all 31 games he's played with Detroit, he's scoring at an approximate 53 goal pace. Seems good. We can make the sustainability jokes. Like, how long will this hold? Over an 82-game season, can you actually expect that? Like, everyone has cold streaks. But 31 games in with Jacob Verona, I've not seen him be cold at all. I've not seen him clutch his stick too tight. I've not seen him not be able to, you know, score the easy ones or the hard ones. He's just done it all. And he did it under two tough circumstances where the handful of games he played last year were coming from a – like coming to a new team, a new much worse team, and this year coming off a major injury. So he had, the first one he had to learn new systems, and the second one he had to learn how to play hockey again. And that like that injury happened like it's a shoulder injury, yeah. right? Like it's yeah. There's only so much that a, like one shoulder will affect your shooting mechanic over another. But if by if he came out and scored no goals in any game so far, we wouldn't be any less hyped about Jacob Verona's scoring ability. And here he is firing them home at a 47 goal pace so far this season look you can make a lot of different cases as to which way the red wings want to move with this rebuild and whether you're in the trade the players who aren't in the more insider lucas raymond era camp or whether you're in the capitalize on what you have now and try to add to this core camp jacob verona is a massive massive part of that either way and it is an absolute pleasure to watch this guy he also seems to have helped unlock Philip Zadina a little oh. bit because that that yeah. There's enough of a sample there, like yeah, the the chemistry, the whatever you want to call it, it's it's there, it's real. These guys, the the checkmates belong. There was someone who was pretty angry the other day, and we ended up having on the a, internet. No, 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 and we ended up having a pretty good conversation after. I, I think they were talking about, you know. Um, when Zadina was drafted, you guys were saying that he has a chance to be a line driver, blah, blah, blah. But why does he have to play with Verona to be able to play well? Like, I don't think this makes him a good player. And I was like, hey, look, you're right. Zadina's not a line driver. And we had hope that he could be because when I think he picked someone sixth overall. That's the expectation. Yeah. And that is absolutely an area where I think Zadina has fallen short. He can't make the lift all by himself. It might come later in his career, but his development path, it needs an assist. And that doesn't mean that he can't be a useful part of your team. It means. You have to decide as a coach and as a management team whether it's use, useful for you to spend the assets, spend the, the development time and, you know, put him on a line with people to unlock him or you move on from him. And it, so far, it looks like what they've been able to do is Zadina is extract more than what we've seen so far this season from him by sticking him with Verona. He's it's not just, you know, Verona feeds Zadina pucks and Zadina does good things with it. He seems more confident. He's doing more on the ice, knowing that he has Verona on the other side. He is playing with better centermen, marginally. I mean, the Red Wings don't have much to say for centermen right now. Oh, well, we're talking about first-line center Joe Valeno right now. <laughs> Hell yeah. He didn't do bad. He's fine. Yeah. Um, but, but, I mean, the line with Zadina, Verona, and Pew Suter has been damn good since they've been – not every game, but most for the most part since they've been put together. They've been a damn good line. Not infallible. Zadina has not been infallible. He still, I think, needs to make better decisions with the puck, especially when he doesn't have to force something. But it's substantially better than what we've seen so far, and this is a beneficial asset to the team as of right now. And we couldn't say that all year. No, we absolutely could not. And, uh, you know, even if Zadina, you don't consider a true top six forward, which that argument could be had, um, but you have him on the second line with Verona next year and you know, let's say Suter or let's say they sign a Vincent Trocek or something like that. 
it frees you up to keep the top line together. And then all of a sudden your third line is legitimately dangerous because you could have Valeno, Fabry, and, you know, hypothetically Jonathan, Jonathan Bergeron on that. Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden, yeah, your second line's still below league average, which is a problem they've had forever, but only marginally now. But now all of a sudden you have a third line that isn't bottom five in the league, which is something the Red Wings haven't been able to say in seven years. So, you know, just just having a guy like Zadina be able to, like, you know, obviously separating him from his draft position, but like tread water in the top six really opens up a lot of a lot more options for the team. Now, he didn't look bad on the top line at all. He, he wasn't producing like you would have hoped, but, you know, it's the theme with him. We're there. Yeah, we, we get it. But he, he also didn't slow Larkin or Raymond down. He, he he wasn't a drag on that line like we've seen in previous years. And, you know, if he's he's got three points in his last four games on Verona's line, like, you know, if that is what his pace is with Jacob Verona and Verona is scoring at a 47 goal pace with this line, it, no sense. You, no sense at all to break that line up. So as long as you're choosing to keep Zadina on the team, I think at this point, it's pretty well established. You can't stick him with the grinding, you know, bottom six. You can't stick him with players who don't have the ability to create. Otherwise, you are just admitting defeat with him before the game even starts. And you're asking for, you know, performance that you're not going to be happy with. Because he's still a good player. His uh, assist on the Verona goal last night was um, a really, really smart play. Because when he got the puck on the rim from Wallman and he looked up, I forget who it was, but the Red Wings had someone wide open in the slot, but not. it wouldn't be for very long. And if he had made that pass, it probably wouldn't have resulted in a shot on net because the Tampa player would have caught him. But he caught Verona coming in uh, late and higher and chose the what would have initially been less desirable pass but ultimately the right pass. Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about how some players just get exponentially better when they play with better players, and that could just be Zadina with Verona. You you stick him with Adam Ernie, he's basically useless, and he's essentially a fourth liner. You stick him with Jacob Verona, and yeah, he will play at the level of a true NHL second liner. I think I've been a little bit reductive in terms of what the role of a coach is. Oftentimes I've said, you know, the role of a coach is just to stay out of your best guy's way. But I think... Another aspect to coaching, which not every coach can do, is find ways to make your team greater than the sum of its parts. And some of that is piecework. You have to do it with guys like Zadina. You know it's there and you know the raw talent is there. You know the tools are in the toolbox. But sometimes, you know, he grabs a wrench when he needs the hammer and you need to find someone who can help him utilize the right tools at the right right time. So the uh, other... Obviously, we talked about the Sunquist goal, and Raymond again stole the puck from Sergachev. Actually, before Zadina or before Verona did the thing, stole the puck from Sergachev and shot it through a, as as uh, Ken Daniels called it, the pearly gates, a very leaky five hole, bad goal from Vasilevsky. Tampa Bay did this to themselves, and the Red Wings ended up uh, holding on four three for the win. So, I mean, shot to the the Tampa Bay hopes of of divisional seeding or whatever they're fighting for right now, and we'll talk about that after the break here, but. Um, I know people are shooting or rooting for the, uh, the tank for the Red Wings, but it's a good feeling to beat Tampa Bay. I mean, we're picking ninth. When you look at the way the standings are shaking down, the Red Wings are, I shouldn't say picking. We know how the draft lottery is going to treat us. So, but the Red Wings are going to land eighth or ninth. There's no other reality. They're not catching anybody ahead of them. Them and Buffalo feel pretty interchangeable at this point and Ottawa and everybody below them is not catching them. So we're so... 
nearly locked into the spot there's the results of the games basically don't matter at this point well there's going to be three before you hear the next podcast uh florida at on thursday at seven eastern uh saturday pittsburgh at 12 30 eastern and that's at home and then again on the road on sunday that's new jersey at 1 p.m eastern so a couple matinee games uh, and then you'll hear the next show. So we'll have a better picture of what's going to happen because that is three of the last five games of the season that are all happening before next episode. Um, that's going to be a tough stretch, Florida and Pittsburgh. Again, one on the road, one at home, and then back on the road with with New Jersey. So we'll see what Detroit pulls out. We made the joke about, oh, you know, Dylan Larkin not there, and then they won the game. The games aren't going to be hard without Dylan Larkin. Like, t- if Tampa plays 10% better than they they did and they i think they had a poor game overall like their best players did vasilevsky did terribly hedman didn't have a great game sergachev was garbage yeah if if sergachev just didn't touch the puck that game detroit loses (laughs) so well i mean we'll see what these teams do um all right some news for detroit oh it um yesterday was three years for steve eisman oh yeah three years since steve eisman returned to hockey town and his arguably best trade he's made that resulted in Jacob Verona scored the game-winning goal against his former team. Hell yeah. It's a little bit of poetry for you. Yep. It's not bad. Uh, everyone go read Max Boltman's uh, article on Eisenman's first three years, taking a look back on the Athletic Detroit. It's a great read. Also, uh, Don Lushishin, I can. Loose chicken. Yeah. Uh, his article on um, toughness in the playoffs with Goudreau and Marner as examples, I thought that was a great piece. It was a really interesting read. I'm curious to hear people's people's thoughts on that one. Um, William Wallander, another okay, Red Wings rookie or Red Wings prospect playing in Sweden wins award or does well is just like a every episode thing at this point. But William Wallander was named Sweden's uh, U20 Player of the Year, narrowly beating out Simon Evanson. <laughs> what a terrific problem to have! What a hell of a turnaround for Wallander. First of all, because yeah. the start of the season wasn't looking. You know, award-winning good. No. And then he was left off the Swedish junior team, although a lot of people felt that odd. Yeah. But still. Look, Detroit's I, – I think Detroit still has a top-end talent issue. Mm, issue might not be the right word. They're not, like, shouting from the rooftops about the amount of, like, first-pairing, first-line players that they have coming through the system. I think we all know who those guys are. But – the pipeline is doing better and better, especially in terms of players who you, we've said if they pan out or if they do this and that, they do seem to be panning out and they are doing this and that so far. I mean, there's, it has to be a big asterisk with all of that, but what else could you ask for from William Wallander besides, you know, winning this award? Great season, great problem to be having, like you said, Brad. Could be in the World Juniors now because of it being delayed to August. So yeah, that could still end up happening. And if they, you know, top U twenty defenseman in Sweden, if they don't pick him, yeah. According to that, he should probably be their first pairing defenseman. But him and Edvinson could be a pair. That'd be fun. Yeah. So they confirmed that it's moving to August. They also confirmed that the eligibility stays the same as if it was happening in you know, yeah. December, January, as it was supposed to, um, before they were surprised by COVID. And then um, yeah, we'll see what happens. It's post draft. It's getting into training camp we'll see what teams do there's going to be some a lot of different decisions being made but um i'm just watching for Connor bedard honestly he's restarting it from scratch from scratch Ah. well they have to because there was a team that was in the winter version that won't be in Ah. this one (laughs) 
yes. Yes. The old geopolitics segment of the podcast. Yep. All right. Um, Tankathon. You want to do a tankathon? No. All right. Brad says no, so let's do it. Tankathon. We're going to sim a lottery and then see where the Red Wings end up. So as of right now, they have the ninth best odds. We are going to simulate that lottery. And the Red Wings, again, stay at ninth best odds. Wow. Wow. It's crazy how those 5% odds work. Well, no, because they're actually... 10% because it's 5% per one or two. Oh, no. Yeah, their most likely pick is still ninth. Yeah, you're right. No, I was wrong. So what if they win? Well, you'll be out the window. That's true. Can we not have those conversations? We've had six years of these conversations. They're not going to win. They never win. Don't get your hopes up. I don't know. I don't know, Brad. 10 point whatever, 10.9 or 11.2 combined percent chance of them winning first or second overall. Remember when we had the best odds? <laughs> no, I don't. I erased that from my mind. Here, yeah, we got did, Raymond inside. Yeah, I was we must say, have won. Yeah, no. The, the year we had the best odds ended up in Lucas Raymond. So we definitely must have picked first. Yeah. That's exactly how that worked. Um, speaking of the draft lottery, it was previously reported to be May 16th. The NHL has now confirmed that they have finalized a date of May 10th. On a Saturday, like prime time, right? Like when the most people will be watching? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's not like they would bother putting that on like a Tuesday or something like that in the first round. May 10th is a Tuesday. Did you believe it was a Saturday? No. That was a hundred and yeah, no, I was, I was sarcasm. Oh, yeah, I was leaning into his joke. He knew what he was doing. Oh, so I'm dumb. Yes, screw both of you. <laughs> We're gonna go do an ad read now. This episode <laughs> of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, sponsor that gives hockey fans what they really need: even more excitement, and me an out from my stupidity on the podcast. There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They're simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. They have tons of fun and unique bet types like same game same game parlays and exclusive promotions on the biggest events. Plus, when you win, you get your winnings back safely in as little as 24 hours. Now check this out. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. How it works is you place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get up to $1,000 back in site credit. Now, what you what we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet of up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wage only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-979. 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. All right. What do we want to do first? Prospect profile or the NHL playoff race? Well, chronologically for the Red Wings, we should talk about prospect profile. Prospect profile it is. And this is one of my favorite prospects, not even because of who he is as a player, but just this name has been, I think we've said it on this podcast over the last two years, Rutger McRorty, which I mean, how do you beat that? Uh, Brad, take us away on Rutger McGrory and who he is in this NHL draft. Well, Rutger McGrory <laughs> is a very, very well-rounded, well-regarded player. He's an odd case to me because every time I watch him, I'm impressed. 
And everything I read about him, everybody who watches him for the most part is impressed. They say he's one of the best players on the USNTDP. I believe he's actually their captain as well. Supremely skilled, supremely competitive, bit of a wonky skater, but has some power there. Um, very creative, uh, very charismatic off the ice, good leader type. But yet he might not even be one of the first five players picked off that team. Yeah. Which is odd because I, I come away, like, I don't think he's up to the level of Cooley or even uh, Nazar or Nazar. I was reading the NTDD program. Like, you know how they do those for next? It's apparently it's Nazar. It's more, that's more common. If yeah. he's, if he's Arabic or Middle Eastern, yeah. Nazar or Nazars. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Nick, yeah. It was, they, the, their phonetic was N-A-Y-Z-A-H-R. So Nazar. Oh. Anyways. Um, but I think beyond them, it's probably McGrory and Goche as the next two. So honestly, with the things Iserman values in a player, I wouldn't bet on it, but I don't think we can rule out McGrory at nine or 10. I wouldn't bet on it. He's projected late teens, early twenties based on where I've seen. But again, other than the small hitch in his skating, which I don't even think is that big of a problem. There is not much to dislike about him as a player. You need the leader. He's got it. You need the compete. He's got it. You need the skill. He's got it. You need the offense. He's got it. Much Just like every other 17-year-old hockey player on the planet, he's not perfect defensively, but he works. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of the player, and I'm, I'm surprised he's not getting more top 15 attention than he is. The skating for me is, you know, I can understand why people are talking about it. A, I think there's a hyper focus on skating because that's a very easy thing to technically break down, identify and, and criticize. And I don't think people are wrong for criticizing bad skating and a hitch is a hitch, but he works and he, you're, you're right. He does have a deceptive power to his stride. He's not the world's best. He's not, you know, uh, Kale McCarr out there, but I don't see it as a massive impediment. Dude's an offensive threat though. Like he is genuinely an offensive threat in in more than one way. And you can see that it's not just, he's not a one dimensional player. He can make plays. He can see the ice really well. I think he's really smart and he also works his ass off. He works his ass off. He wins a lot of those like three square foot battles that whether you like it or not, those make the difference in hockey games. And you think about why you love Tyler Bertuzzi as a player. Tyler Bertuzzi is not, a good skater playing out like flat out. He is not a good skater. Dude wins battles, those battles though. And he, he works really hard and Rucker McGrory, um, out of the USNTDP is, is no exception to that as well. He's, he works his ass off. He's talented. He makes his teammates better around him in the offensive zone. You're right. Like he's not a up and down the ice impactful in all three zones kind of player. But if he was, he'd be ranked significantly higher. I struggle to pin him around, you know, ninth. I think there's just too much else out there. And I think someone who in the top five that we might identify as like, oh, if the Red Wings are top five, we'd love to grab this guy. We'll probably fall. So what happens every year. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him go in the top 10. And he does fit the bill in terms of just the way he plays, uh, uh, the kind of player that Steve Eisman and the Detroit Red Wings would, would like. Like, tell me Chris Draper wouldn't like Rutger McGrody's game. 
Well, the thing with McGordy too that is a little unique and, you know, it's not universal, but when you look at a lot of the guys who are in the top 10 or projecting the top 10, you know, Wright, Savoy, Lambert, uh, Nazar, uh, Savoy, they're all 5'9", 5'10". Uh, McGordy's six plus, nearly 200 pounds. Big boy. So, so if you wanted the skill with size and Slavkovsky's up the board, Teams will look long and hard at McGrody. Yeah. Because he's he might be the next best option in the draft if if that's what you're looking for. Also, I, I don't think we can discount what you mentioned initially, Brad. He's known to be like really well liked in the room. He's been described as like super charismatic. The fact that he has the captaincy, again, that's just more character stuff that you don't want to base an entire draft decision on. <clears throat> character. But uh <laughs> it certainly helps. And if you ask, you know, Chris Draper or Steve Eisman or anyone in the Red Wings brass what they like a lot about their successful draft picks, at some point in that conversation, they're going to tell you about the character of those guys. Yeah, Lucas Raymond is intensely skilled and, and Moritz Sider is this, you know, goldmine phenom of a defenseman, but they will tell you about both of those players and how much they love being Red Wings and how well liked they are in the room and, and how much they buy in and they're just great character guys and that matters, especially if you're you're spending a top 10 pick on it. You need to know that these guys are going to fit into your system and fit into your room. So you can't psychoanalyze every player. We don't have that. But when you're hearing good things, it does lend well to it. Rector yep. McGrody, would you take him? Let's say the Red Wings draft ninth. Would nope. you? You wouldn't take him ninth. No. How high up would you take him? Mid-teens. So if the Red Wings got pushed down to 11? No. So you're saying McGrody, as of right now, is off the board for Detroit? Probably. Yeah. Okay. Brad? I haven't put a list together yet. I don't think he's going to crack my top nine. He'll be close, so he's probably like, uh, unless I'm forgetting someone, he'll probably be like 12, 13, somewhere in that range, I think, for me. I don't think he makes it there for me at nine either, but that's because... Pretty much every draft that we've covered and analyzed, someone in the top five falls out. Every freaking year, there's some guy who's supposed to be in the top five who ends up sliding. And it's not like we're right every year. Like some of those guys, I'm sure, aren't going to pan out. And some of them are Trevor Zegras, who went to ninth. Bring me Matt Savoy. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, Savoy is really small. Don't draft him, other NHL. Yeah, he's like he's lying. He's wearing lifts. He's like five foot four. He's shorter than Brad. Think about that. Woof. Could it be me? He is actually right around my head. Is that you look bigger than him out there though? Because you're a grown ass man. That right? That actually makes sense. He's probably in far better shape than I am though. You don't say. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) Probably probably filled out the old frame a little better. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. uh, Let's talk about the playoff race as it stands today. We're not talking about the East. Everyone, everyone has clinched. Yeah. Uh, in the West, they're just losing games that they need to win. What's going on? It's a race to the bottom. Holy. Nobody wants it. Nashville like feels like the only team that's won a game recently that's in the battle. Actually, I shouldn't say that. LA had a big win the other night. Vegas, what are you doing? They lost to New Jersey. Vancouver, you have a chance to pull within two points of LA and you lose to Ottawa. Ottawa. To be in Vancouver's defense, they were coming off like a five or six game winning streak. So. Yeah, 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 and that's fair. They have done what's their six two and two in their last ten. That's about all you can expect. But 
it really doesn't matter. You have to just break it down to those key games. Like Vegas had some poor, poor performances. Eichel had like a nearly all donut stat line coming out, coming off that loss. Like it was bad. Man, if Vancouver can somehow stay incredibly hot and take out LA, imagine one, two, three in the Pacific going Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. That would, that would be a insane. That would be an absolute bloodbath. Yeah. It does okay, it doesn't matter where you're from. You should want to watch that at some point. Oh yeah. Because the intense rivalry between those teams. If you want to know who hates Canadians the most, it's other Canadians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Blood will be shed. A lot of it. Again, I, I think I just like watching those games. It is incredibly rewarding and entertaining to see. Good on LA for getting that key win, but LA sitting at uh, a 590 points percentage, Nashville and Dallas in the wildcard spots, 604 and 599, and then Vegas and Vancouver tied at a dead heat for 565 points percentage each. Uh, Vegas with two more regulation wins, 33 as opposed to Vancouver's 31. Five games left for Vegas and Vancouver. LA has four. We'll see what happens, but man, this is going to come down to the wire. It's very close. Then I... It all. I don't know what they their schedules look like. I, because I think I mentioned. I think Vegas and Dallas still play each other one more time. Yeah, which is maybe the the nail in the coffin on Vegas's season. Could be, or could keep them alive. Right. Yeah. Um. They play each other on the twenty sixth, Tuesday the twenty sixth. So we'll see what happens there. I had a uh, I tweeted and I had a conversation with some people today about playoff seating. Where are you guys at on this current system? Fart. I hate it. I've hated it the whole time. I've never liked it. It's bad. Here's my thing. It's it's not about balance to me. It's not about my issue isn't about balance. It's not about fairness. It's not about, you know, bracketing and creating a division winner. And maybe it's just because I grew up with this, but I miss when it didn't matter what division you were in. All of a sudden there was a brand new rivalry created because of a random two seven matchup. Like Detroit, Dallas, all of a sudden Red Wings fans and Dallas fans have a reason to hate each other. I thought that was awesome. And you don't get that anymore. Oh, good. Now we just get the same two teams who play each other every single year in the first round. Yay. And they don't even necessarily need to be that good. The thing that made Colorado-Detroit's rivalry so good, like I don't care if they were or weren't in the same division. That doesn't matter in this context. It's because they always met each other in the second or third round. They yeah, weren't the force-feeding yeah, exactly. They weren't force feeding it in the first round every year just to have it. They're like, oh, yeah, no, the best teams are generally going to be the teams that are going to make it to the second and third rounds. Often they will run into each other. It's going to happen. And then, yeah, you let the rivalries form naturally that way. Pittsburgh, Washington, same thing. They were two of the best teams in the East. So they always ran into each other. Yeah. You know, Detroit, Colorado, you look at a bunch of historic rivalries that fit that. Chicago, LA for a good while there. They were not playing in the first round all that often because both the teams were generally really good, got out of the first round and met each other when the stakes were higher. Like it's so Maybe simple. One, to eight. one that's again, I love the conference one versus eight, two versus seven, et cetera, seating. It makes more sense too. Like, and it draws, it's more simplified for the casual viewer, right? Like they turn on the TV. First seed Colorado Avalanche are playing eighth seed Vegas or Dallas, and Dallas is working them. That makes a lot more sense than 
oh, they're first in their division and Dallas was the second wild card. People are like, what the hell does any of that mean? I've never watched hockey before in my life. Yeah. And it also makes upsets feel like upsets. real upsets. Right, yes. right now, because if, if the playoffs started as they were now, LA would play Edmonton. They are two seeds apart and neither of them are in the top half of the conference if you were doing one to eight. Yeah. Why did, do we remember why they did this? Oh, it was brackets. It was just to force feed divisional rivalries. Okay. Yeah. It, it's bracketing, it, getting more division rivalries. And I get it. I mean, objectively, it is a good thing to watch Toronto lose to Boston repeatedly. Have, was it a travel thing too? Because then you're not playing out of not, division teams, even though <laughs> Toronto and Florida are not necessarily the closest two places in the world. The same time zone at least, but yeah. you get that just by splitting East and West anyway. Like the only division I would argue that this format has had some success in is the Atlantic, but that's just because the Atlantic's a freak division with and Toronto always Stanley. just keeps losing to Boston in yeah. historic ways. That's why it's super interesting. Which is funny. Yeah. That being said, thing. if we get like three three years in a row of Florida Tampa right now, okay, that's fine. We're arguing our against, but we could, we here. probably still have that anyway. That's what I mean. Yeah, that was my original argument. Is yeah, okay, if we get Florida Tampa every year, I'm not upset about that. Those are going to be great series. But yeah, if it's in the first round, well, there's a good chance it would have been in the third round anyway. So. It just, I also like the idea, and I, I know we're just beating a dead horse because all three of us, I think, are on the same page here, but I like the idea of the conference finals being, it just felt more like those were the best teams in that division. I still feel like the cup, the best team wins the cup, but it you, you don't feel like you lost one of the better teams earlier on in the playoffs than you otherwise should have. If you lose in a one versus eight, it's because the other team was better. 100%. Yeah. I always think about the casual fans because they're the ones that the NHL needs to steal from the other leagues and the way the playoff format's set up, like it takes it takes diagrams and a whiteboard to explain to someone how the hell this works. I know. I, although they will see like if someone's a Florida like lives in Fort Lauderdale right now and they just see that they play Tampa like year after year or something like that. They'll that, say why, and I'll be like, well, let me give you the five-minute presentation on the NHL playoffs. I actually think they wouldn't even ask why. I think they'd say, Tampa's our rival. I'm going to go to a Florida Panthers game. So that, that's an argument in their favor. I think that I understand that perspective of it. Or they're like, hey, I heard this Alex Ovechkin fellow is pretty cool. Why don't I ever get to see him? Yeah. Let's, let's just do the one where you got the top points. You pick who you want to play in the first round. Oh, let's do that. Just God, get- I would pay for that. And then they can figure out a seeding after that. I don't care. Or we can keep doing it every single round. The best team gets to pick whoever the hell they want. Oh, that that this is some Jeff Merrick stuff on the show right now. He like there's absolutely no way the NHL would ever do oh, that. Oh god, no. But it would be amazing. <laughs> what do you guys feel about one through sixteen seeding cross conference? I can I would love it, the chaos of it, but I could understand for travel reasons why they And the television would like let's say the tr- say montreal plays vancouver vancouver freaking LA. la like florida all of a sudden i mean montreal fans would watch the game but like to capture those fringe viewers like them starting games at 10 p.m is not gonna work that got suggested and i understand the chaos of it i personally don't like it i, I might just be an old head but i like the the separation of the conferences yeah, same. I like the idea, and I know they did it the one year because of the COVID. I like the reseeding of the final four. 
No, no, I, I don't. I like that for the possible cup finals we get out of that. Because that's because then you, ostensibly you do get a better cup final. You I could think. have this year, like if they did a one through eight, but then a reseeding. This year, the way the standings have broken down, you could get a Florida-Tampa cup final. If they did one through 16, the Rangers would play Washington in the first round. Amazing. That's, that's, the, that's the only argument you need right now. That may also happen anyway. That is right? happening anyway. <laughs> uh, no, actually, Pittsburgh's been on a tailspin lately. Washington might pass them. Well, Pittsburgh's playing Detroit soon, so it's either what ails you or <laughs> so you're going straight down. Okay, uh, we're going to jump into some NHL news here. Uh, and the biggest news in history, Marshawn Lynch and rapper Macklemore are now partial owners of the Seattle Kraken. I did. Has anybody told Marshawn they traded Cali Yarncroft yet? <laughs> <laughs> Don't. Uh, it's okay. He did. He did donuts on the Zamboni. That's all that matters. He's he's good. Um, in all seriousness, though, the uh, on April fifteenth, the NHL pre NHLPA released the result from the independent review of uh, Donald Fair and the NHLPA's handling of the Kyle Beach situation. The statement is as follows. At the direction of the executive board, um, the NHLPA has released the independent review uh, of their response in late 2010 and early 2011 to reports that Kyle Beach was sexually abused by a Chicago Blackhawks coach. The Cousin Report determined that in sum, after a thorough examination of uh, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, we cannot identify any individual wrongdoing or institutional failures of policy or procedure by either FAIR, NHLPA personnel, or the SABH program concerning the handling of Beach's reports. Beach's warnings about Aldrich were not addressed on account of miscommunication and misunderstanding rather than any individual um, or systemic failure. So they are attributing this to miscommunication and misunderstanding and not individual or systemic failure. And my first comment is, if there is a possibility that the head of the organization that is meant to protect players had some kind of miscommunication or misunderstanding and a player went through what Kyle Beach went through, that is the definition of individual or systemic failure. Malicious intent is something that you can argue, but that sure feels like someone who is supposed to be in charge of protecting a player failed to do so through a miscommunication. Sure. Through a misunderstanding. Sure. But if those things can happen and the end result is Kyle Beach is left exposed to everything that happened to him with no recourse for a near decade. Hey, buddy, that sounds a whole lot like systemic failure to me. What happened to accountability and ownership? I don't know. I understand Fair is nearly on his way out, but that that smelled like bullshit to me. And even the even the biggest like water carrying reporters in the NHL called that out for what it was. Like, I I just can't imagine being a member of the NHLPA right now, reading that report and going, "Oh well, I feel I certainly feel protected oh. in case that, that ever happens to me." We're done here. It was a simple misunderstanding, folks. Sure can't happen again because they said it's not systemic. I don't know. In the words of me, how could I have expected anything else? But that that to me was a whole load of shit. Oh, was it ever? Yeah, people who get investigated for crimes and mal negligence always go to always get reprimanded, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, always. Look at Wall Street. They always openly admit when they screwed up too. On record. I'm not gonna get into the dirty details of it, but like it, it's funny the 
the, the, the duality of lawyers here. Like they talk about how these people keep such incredibly detailed reports, remember so much because they're attorneys. Oh, but they can't seem to remember <laughs> that one conversation that they had directly after a very relevant point in time. And it's like, oh, yes. interesting how that works. They all come, they all plead the fifth and forget everything. And there's that one guy who's like, oh, I, I thought when you were referring to meeting, I didn't, I didn't think you included phone calls in that. Like when I read that, I'm like, oh, you, okay, they just know exactly they're lawyers you know they know exactly what to say to make sure they don't land in hot water and there's an argument here that of like okay what would this have changed it doesn't matter like if you're if you're an nhl player if you're a member of the nhlpa you're looking at this and going okay these guys are protecting themselves and not me but they're getting paid to protect me that by, by them <sighs> This was never going to result in anything different at all. At all. This is about exactly where it landed, where I thought it would land. But I hope that when they're picking the successor for Donald Fair, that this is at least somewhat of an issue that they choose to address in terms of the quality of the person that that is chosen. That whole process is a very has a lot of politics. Big name players, agents have a lot of say in that. So we're not going to get into that, but you know, looking out for players' best interests isn't just financial. They need to know that they're going to come to work and be protected as people. That is somewhat financial too, right? Like if people can't come to work, they don't get paid. Like Kyle, Kyle Beach lost his career. Yeah, like that is a financial and a, a personal, emotional, physical thing. Anyways, people continue to suck. That's the byline on this. Um, uh, last point here before we jump into, uh, overtime and uh, this is all we're going to say on it. Uh, very obviously the Detroit free press, and I believe it was Helene St. James who wrote it, um, released the article on the, uh, story as to why Al Sabotka was let go. Um, this information has been floating around for a while and it was only a matter of time before it came out. Uh, our decision to, like, we're not going to comment on it. We're not going to make it a story. You don't have to read much beyond the headline, but I encourage you to read the article if you're interested uh, in knowing more. Um, it's an intensely personal thing that is not going to be the, – the discourse and the discussion is not going to be advanced by us talking about it. it this isn't a hockey issue. This is a, a personal, legal, workplace thing, and that's that. There's You don't have to look far to find the discourse on it. So uh, we're not going to carry that any further, and, and yeah. Okay. Let's jump into overtime. Uh, overtime on this midweek episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, who are by and large incredible people. I would say better than any of us three, and they're also the reason why we're able to do this show. To all new patrons, thank you all so, so very much. It genuinely means a lot. We have a lot of messages to catch up on, and uh, I promise you we read them all. So patreon.com slash podcast if you want to help support the show. Uh, and if you do so, you are afforded at least one Evan Lobsinger autograph. At that any is point not in life, true. It is absolutely true. And one of Brad's fingers, but those are limited supply. So first come, first serve. Rowan has already dipped a f- dipped a few of them. Jeremy Dahl uh, says, a little bit of a lighter question this week. Who from this team could you see being a permanent piece when we are good? You know, providing their contract is decent. I know we don't have much in the way of a middle six, but who could we hold on to? So I'm assuming this doesn't mean, you know, the obvious guys, Raymond, Cider, whoever else. Damn, I was going to say Cider. 
My hot take here is that Michael Rasmussen might become a permanent, like a, a cup competitive team means Michael Rasmussen's down the fourth line, but I could see him being a long-term piece on this team. Fine. I'll do it then. Philip Zadina. Oh, interesting. Very useful middle six winger. Even if he's not scoring goals, he can help the team in a lot of other ways. And he does and has been. Evan, a non-obvious answer, who on this team could become a permanent fixture when the team is good? A non-obvious answer? Yeah, like not Raymond, not Cider. <clears throat> Dylan Larkin. That's an obvious answer. Depends oh. who you're talking to. Yeah, true. Um, uh, it's been too much of that. <laughs> uh, Pew Suter could be, but more in a bottom six role, perhaps. Well, who's your third line center in five years, Suter or Valeno? Pew Suter. Okay. They trade Valeno. That's a hot takery. I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> You're just adding I'm just on spitballing to it. right now. Yeah. I don't know. Someone around there. Adam Ernie. Ew, no. 50 goal scorer, Adam Ernie. Grand Rapids? Beer League. <laughs> <laughs> Billy, Billy Howell says, of the prospect goalies not named Sebastian Cosa, which is Larson, Bratstrom, Fulcher, Benash, uh, ben and Guylander, do you see any of them panning out to even be a backup? Furthermore, is there an argument to be made that Larson and Fulcher are 23 and should be given more runway, especially Larson, as he's had a good season in the Allsvenskan? I mean, key phrase there being in the Allsvenskan, which is yeah. concerning at 23. I don't know. Bradstrom hasn't been terrible this year, and he's doing it at the one league below the NHL, so it's the boring answer, but he's probably got the best track to get there right now. He does sweet somersaults on the ice, too. Yeah, he does, too. Guylander is probably the big wild card where his range of results could still go in a lot of directions. Um, Leah Hextall's favorite hockey player, Mason Raymond, says, taking a look at 2023 UFAs, uh, the list is pretty solid as of right now. I expect it'll change, but for argument's sake, who do you sign if you can only pick one of the following? Pasternak, McKinnon, Monaghan, Dumba, Horvat, or Sanheim? It's McKinnon. It's McKinnon. You, it's it's after- always McKinnon. And you know, he won't cost a lot of money. Yeah, because he, man, that guy, speaking of things that makes the NHL PA pull their hair out, it's got to be that guy's contract. And his lawyer. And he's also not uh, agent. agent. Yeah. And he's also not going to make it to free agency. Colorado's going to throw the entire vault at him if they have to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Babe Landeskog says, I love hockey, but I don't play myself unless be a pro counts. When people talk about being a strong skater, edges, agility, etc., I'm not totally sure what that means. Besides speed, not falling over constantly and stopping on a dime, what does being a good skater, edges, and that sort of stuff mean and look like? Edge work, being able to, uh, to put it as simply as possible, get around your opponents. You have the puck, a guy is coming at you, you need to change directions in a hurry. And you need to do it quickly. That's being good on your edges, being able to go through lanes that are shaped like an S instead of an I. Things like that. Um, strong on your skates. Puck battles. You're in the corner. Sidney Crosby's trying to push you out of the way and take that puck from you, but you are digging into the ice and not moving. That's strong on your feet. That could also apply to moving if you're trying to go around a defenseman wide. The defenseman's leaning on you, and he's not putting you on your ass. You're you're staying on your skates, still making the play. That's what a strong skater means. So edge work is just the ability to cut and turn and weave. Strong on your skates means you don't get knocked over. And then obviously, you know, speed is pretty self-explanatory. 
Uh, I'll take the second part of Lars's question here. Lars, the prophet of the Tower of Behemoth, says, Jersey question, if you were to design an alternate jersey for the Red Wings and the color red and black and white were banned, what combination of colors would you use? Sorry, black and white were banned? Red, black, and white. Red, black, and white. Yeah. All Let's the- just take away literally the only two colors the Red purple. Wings use. Purple. Purple and silver is like the only option there. You can probably do a cool one with purple and silver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I would want, and it, but it would feel so weird. Give us back one of black or white, and you can do a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, black, like an all black and silver, would be pretty dope. That would be cool. And then you're the LA Kings. Shit, <laughs> it'd still look dope. Yeah, I mean Tampa tried it; they failed, but like they tried it. Arjun Shanker says, "How embarrassing for Tampa Bay! Yikes! Uh, how many goals would Raymond have to score in the remainder of the season to win the Calder over Cider?" Um, he's at twenty three goals. Minimum seven. Oh, I don't even think that's enough. But minimum seven. Seven and five games still doesn't make him. I, I, I think, think you have so to. Either. I think you have to more than double that. You need like this insane like three or four hat tricks, a bunch more like it. Yeah, no, you would need save a baby from a burning fire. Yeah, which I mean, him and Cider both do on the regular. You need quite. two babies. Well, I mean, per fire. Now, Michael Bunting could never. No. Yeah. You need to find a way to make the sun shine on Lucas like it does Moritz. Nice. Nice reference to close us out. All right, folks, we're going to end this episode of the Wingville Podcast, a little bit of a shorter one. We're going to be back with you on Sunday. Thank you all so much for tuning in. All of our supporters, people who have uh, been giving the show ratings on Spotify and iTunes, thank you so much. It's a, it's a big help. Uh, the sponsors of this podcast, the FanDuel Sportsbook, and our name level supporters on a- on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, the Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver with the number 69, Crying Ryan Hannah's Banana Slam and Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, Billy Howell, Brandon M., Breaking into Bank for a Hot Pocket, Brian Johnson, Carl Brutanen-Analuski, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Daniel Garcia, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hana Lee, Hassam Al-Kassem, I'd Leave My Wife for Cider, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Stay Fresh Greech Bags, the master and champion of the Winged Wheel podcast, the freshest of cheese bags, the legend himself, Joseph F. and Fournier, Zach Spring, Sam Bankson, Adam, or uh, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Adam, now I finish better than Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Bags Fresh Cheese Stay, Ben Barron, Cheese Bags Stay Fresh, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evans Parking Garage, <laughs> you guys are messing up my cadence, Evans Bingo Card, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, J.M. Rhapsody, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Missing Vladdy More Than Ever, Papa Woody, Revy DeLuca, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Trevor Pevavar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you so much you crazy people. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at wingedwheelpod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.